Hello there and welcome to Two Fat Expats. I'm Kirsty Rice. I'm here in Adelaide, South Australia, and I'm talking to Nikki Moffat, my fellow expat who is in Copenhagen in Denmark. How are you, Nikki Moffat? I am really good, thank you, Kirsty Rice. And I want to tell you that last night I spent the evening with a fellow Fatarati. So somebody who is in our group and who also lives in Germany, although I don't live there anymore, I just say also, um, messaged me and said, oh, we're in Copenhagen for the weekend. If you want to catch up or have a glass of wine, that'd be great. If you don't, no problems. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go and meet this person who I've (laughs) talked to uh, online and never met in real life. And so off I went on my bike. (laughs) <laughs> to the hotel and was it just she, you or you and sam no just me just me but i met with uh her and her husband who were drinking having a drink an evening drink in the lobby of their hotel and we had i said i'll just pop in for a quick drink before you go to dinner um and three hours later we were all <laughs> leaving <laughs> did, you go, did you go to dinner with them I did not go to dinner with them. They took their children to dinner. But uh, no, it was really, really lovely. So uh, Lucy, who's an Australian who lives in Heidelberg in Germany and her husband, and we just chatted like, you know, yeah. like we're old mates. And which how, was really, old, really lovely. how old were Lucy's starving children? Lucy's starving children were, well, one of these exactly the same age as one of my children. Nice. Um, she was in grade nine and the other one was two years younger. So, yeah, they, they were quite good. One of them sat with us for most of our chat, joined in from time to time, which was really lovely to see. And the other one was having some some quiet time in the hotel room, which when you're on a family holiday, it's always nice to have somewhere yes. to have quiet time. Yes. <laughs> Oh, that's so, lovely. That was very well, lovely. Hello, Lucy. In other yeah. news of people listening to the podcast and reaching out, my um, eldest daughter, who has a sort of newish uh, man in her life, she's only 21, he's 21 too, he said to me last night after we'd had a couple of bottles of wine, um, oh, Lizzie said you had a podcast. So I had listened to a couple of episodes. It just about died. <laughs> I just about died. It is not something that had ever factored into my mind that this would be something that would happen. Um, we've obviously done this podcast for years. I've been writing online for 10 years. You know, I'm well aware of... Uh, you know, I, I spent the first, I don't know, first, oh, forever when I wrote about my kids, I always called them little travellers, one, two, three, and four. You know, I was quite respectful of their um, privacy. They have a different surname to me, so I figured they'd got away with it for a long time. I never, ever thought later, oh, you know, one of your kids boyfriends or girlfriends is going to just have a quick listen to the podcast. So you instantly think, oh, what have I said? <laughs> and did they provide any thoughts or feedback? No, I quickly shuffled the conversation on. I moved on very quickly. I may have even got out of my seat to go and get something from the fridge. <laughs> It's so weird because I said to these people, I said, this is so lovely to meet you. Uh, But I like in general to think that people don't listen to the podcast. Like when we're recording, I like to not think about anybody listening. I like to talk. But then I think if you're a a real life person, then I have to think about all the silly things I've said. So, yeah. But (laughs) so there you go. You've got someone in your house constantly now (laughs) who knows your 
double life that you're leading. I would imagine he would have got quickly bored and won't listen again. Um, But yes, (laughs) it's quite funny. Well, in terms of being a good boyfriend, though, ticks and boxes there, like interested in family's life. True. That's very true. Oh, look, he's lovely. I think he's absolutely lovely, a really gorgeous guy. But yes, you're right. That should tick some boxes, shouldn't it? Uh, okay, Nikki, shall we get started with our yes. fat questions okay, for the let's week? Let's go to our fat expat questions. Now, such an interesting couple of weeks we've been having at school, Kirsty. And one of the things, the questions I had was, you know, international schools in general, um, outside a couple of countries, don't have uniforms. So when there is no school uniform, we have to talk about the next thing that's always messy in school life, which is dress codes. So have your children been at schools with dress codes and did they ever create problems? And and was the dress code ever changed while you were at school? Because we've been sent a survey about what do you think about the dress code and what we would like your input as parents to the dress code. And I, I have some thoughts, but I was just wondering about you and your thoughts and what you think. Yeah. Look, I was, I'm interested in when you started with your wording, when you said quite often international schools don't have uniforms. I would disagree because um, only the American schools um, don't have uniforms in uh, Qatar, but the, um, all the British schools all have lovely, you know, uniforms that you would remember, Nikki, from school, you know, grey shorts and, you know, tunics and, um, you know, white shirts. Ties for girls. Emblems and ties mm. and the whole sort of thing. Um, so because that was one thing that kind of, you know, we've talked about this before, you, re- you revert back to what you knew and what you grew up with. In Australia, if you go even to a public school in primary school, there is a uniform as such. Maybe there might be jumpers or pants or things to sort of stick to, a colour code, you know, whatever. And then in high school, there's set uniforms. Um, and definitely in private schools, there's very strict uniforms. Some may say army style or you know, whatever. But, yes, and... So when we got to Qatar and we looked at schools, that was one thing. I remember thinking, how do you go to school without a uniform? Because my kids had had uniforms in in Canada and in America at the schools that they were at. They'd had uniforms. Um, so that was my oh, first. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was my first, my first goal of no uniforms. So, but... Yeah, that's sort of off track with your, I'm just, I just said that because I thought there'll be a lot of people that are at British schools um, that will be saying, oh, we've got a uniform. Like that's, we definitely do, even though we're international. Um, So with the dress code, I find that even trickier. I would prefer to have a uniform uh, because, because of this exact thing. And what I found having two girls and two boys is often my daughters were really insulted by the dress code and often when there were conversations about the dress code, they were very much directed towards the girls. No short skirts, you know, not too much skin on display, uh, no singlet tops, no whatever. And when it came to the boys, it was like, you know, don't wear your basketball shorts too low or don't wear your jeans too low. Um, but there was a, it was there was so much conversation directed towards the girls. Um, what have you found with your? I mean, 
I, I'm, I'm guessing that this is all because they've decided that someone isn't modest enough or um, yeah, where does it come look, from? I think that's what it is because uh, this, this survey came out and I was really interested and it said, you know, please give your feedback on, on the dress code. And I was thinking, well, where is the dress code? I can't give my feedback unless I, I know what mm. it is. And so it directed me to a link and the link said, there is no school uniform at our school, although everyone is expected to dress in a neat, clean and appropriate manner and modest. Mm-hmm. Modest is the key word there. Mm-hmm. Uh, students should dress appropriately for the weather and slogans and pictures related to drugs, tobacco and alcohol are not allowed. That's pretty mm-hmm. common. That yeah. that was in our old, last school as well. Um, and then it says, when talking with the students, we were focusing on better describing the word modest and what it means to how we dress modestly at school. And it talks about the diverse cultures and backgrounds and family expectations and religions in the school, which, of course, come into play. And that and that's why, you know, these conversations had to be mm. had. But I just, I really rail at the word modest. Like I mm. feel very, it sounds like a, a it sounds like a, a word that's targeting girls. Like to mm. me, that sounds like, and it, that might be my own internal bias, but that's what it is. Mm. But it just says they they identified three guidelines at school to describe modest. This is the students talking. No underwear showing, and that's bras, briefs, and boxes. So that includes the boys in their in mm-hmm. their short situations. No navels, cleavage, buttocks, mm-hmm. and no short shorts. Now. We had this. I had this conversation with another parent. I said, you know, two girls can wear the same top, and they can be one can be dress coded or told that that's inappropriate, and the other one cannot. Mm. And it's just to do with their body type. It's nothing to do with the shirt they're wearing. Mm. And so it comes down to their bodies are really being regulated in a way, not not the clothes necessarily. Which means to me that uniforms are so much better. Like, <laughs> just have a uniform. Yeah. And then you can't have an argument, you know. Yeah. Um, the but only I was thing interested. That, sorry. The only thing that has yeah. come up with a uniform now is with um, gender. And so in co-ed schools, there's been a lot of discussion about, well, you know, can everybody wear the skirts or can everybody wear the shorts? Or everyone yeah. wear the long pants, and I, and I have noticed at um, now at the school my girls are at long pants are there if they want them, but they of course it's an all girls school, so because there are no boys there, they don't have any of those other issues. So then questions we were asked were how satisfied are you with the dress code? What do you think makes the dress code effective or ineffective? And how important is it to your child's education? Right, like. It, Zero. It's unimportant to my child's education, I believe, the dress code. And then it says, add any further comments. And and my comments were, well, are you discussing this with the children? Like you talked about what modest means, but what else are you having? What other discussions are you having with the children? Because also this week we were invited to school as grade nine parents because grade nine is doing a new interdisciplinary unit as part of the um, MYP program, so the IB studies that they're doing about gender and they gave us a whole you know um they they gave us wine so we would be a little bit more amenable to the ideas that were presenting i think that's how they came up with that idea and then they talked to us about what gender means in today's society and it's based on on a un document and they're talking about how you know gender's a lot of things we talked about pronouns we talked about all sorts of things and then and then i said 
and then we said, well, how does this come in with the dress code? Because you're talking about letting people be people for, for their people's sake. And then you're trying to mm. dress them based mm. on what you, you or we think mm. their gender is. Mm. <laughs> so it was, it was just, I, I, I think it's, look, I think it's a really complex conversation in every school you're in. It's, it, that doesn't have a uniform, there are always situations mm. uh, that come up. But I, I just think it's so uh, – it made me think that it's it's us as the parents and teachers putting expectations or putting our views on the students mm. who really most of the time are just fine with what they're wearing and what everyone else is wearing. Mm. It's not a – you know, it's not offensive. The people that find it offensive are the other parents and the teachers. Like, the, mm. and I'm not saying you shouldn't. Have, I mean, you, you should be able to offend parents and teachers, but I just think that you can get caught up in a very detailed and deep discussion about it. But is it worth it? Is it worth all the drama and stress that parents are going to have about what a dress code is? I don't know. Did you see the article uh, this week? There was a court case um, where a boy who went to a a very expensive private school in Sydney um, had um, hit a girl at either a pub or a party. Um, Yes. And he had said to her, um, you know, excuse me, anyone's got kids in the car, but, um, you know, put your tits away or something and then he'd, she had tried to record him on the phone saying, say it again, because she she was outraged, as she should have been, and um, he punched her. Um, and so the reason, it, that wasn't why it made it into the press. It made it into the press because the judge let him off, basically saying that yes. this would cause too much damage to his career. Um, and that possibly the reason why he'd felt that way was he wasn't used to seeing girls dressed like that because he'd gone <laughs> to this boy school. And this goes back to modesty, right? Because when you say to someone, be modest, you are sending the message that it's better that you're modest and that you don't have any skin on display because really what will people think? And that's not acceptable. And how will people how will people deal with that if you've got too much skin? And I think you are just sending the wrong message to those kids because the message should be: if someone has too much skin, that's their business, and uh, you don't treat them any differently because of it. You're not you're not more pure because. You're modest. And can I just say, both my girls said to me, Mum, have you seen the picture of what this woman was wearing? She wasn't. She didn't have anything out. You know, she had basically what we would call pants and a nice shirt on and it long sleeved. <laughs> jeans and a nice shirt. Yeah that's, how, yeah. that's what you wear to go to the pub. Jeans yeah, and a nice jeans shirt. Jeans and a nice shirt. What are you wearing? Jeans and a nice shirt. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I struggle with it too. And I just think, you know, at our school where there was no school uniform, when the kids would travel for sport, when they were travelling um, internationally, which seems such a <laughs> such a strange thing, <laughs> but they would travel to Dubai or Oman or Sri Lanka or wherever to go and compete in sport. They would then put on a polo shirt where they wore exactly the same polo shirt and a pair of khaki yeah. pants and yeah. or khaki um, I would say khaki. And um, so they would put those on. And I would say, like a broken record, 
why can't they wear that all the time? If this is what yeah. we put them in so that they are uniform and can all to travel, travel together and yeah. be recognised and whatever, why can't we just wear those all the time? And schools flatly refuse to. So, And it's so much cheaper to have a uniform. I know. It's, it's very interesting because um, so someone I know here put this on their on their Facebook post about, you know, we're discussing uniforms at school and how do you feel about it, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so many people who've only ever been in American school systems mm-hmm. and then had moved to a British or a, a school system with uniforms said, oh, not having uniforms is so much better than having uniforms. It's so hard to get my kids to wear uniforms. They hate them. I hate oh. them. Everyone hates uniforms. Whereas me, who has a different cultural background, who grew up with uniforms, yeah. when my kids first started school, they wore uniforms in the British school system in Hong Kong and then in South Africa. Yeah. And then they haven't worn uniforms since. And I remember thinking, gosh, this my nightmare is starting when they didn't wear uniforms. Because yeah. one, Absolutely. you have to have certain clothes clothes clean all the time yes and and two then your child decides what to wear i mean i don't approve the dress code that my child wears to school i don't approve of her walking out the door every day and this is to do with like mainly she wears track pants every day it's like can't no, you wear a nice pair of pants and a shirt pair of jeans nice pair of jeans and a shirt uh you know but she goes out the door because that's her choice because mm. that the school doesn't have a uniform yeah. and if they did then she wouldn't be able to wear that so it's just, I don't know, I find it, I found it really interesting to read the feedback on that Facebook post, which just, just said, you know, yes, it's better to have no uniforms than uniforms. And I was like, but then you end up back down this rabbit hole yeah. where, you know, and I said to, I said to my daughter, you know, because some cultures and religions, uh, you know, dress more modestly and, you know, there are particular dress codes, etc. And I said, you know, do you have many kids at school who, you know, dress in that way. And she said, no, hardly any at all. You know, but mm. but all her gr- the girls in her grade wear baggy shirts and track pants. Yeah. So why would we have to worry about that? Yes, <laughs> you know, like, yes, yes. Uh, it's just, yes. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just I find you're it so... Uh, you're talking to a woman whose 19-year-old <laughs> daughter went to the movies in her pyjamas during the week. <laughs> They're not fast. Um <laughs> <laughs> so thankfully she did have a uniform to wear because I hate to think what she would have looked like at boarding school if she was given her own devices because she would have <laughs> literally just rolled straight out of bed and straight through the door. Uh, yes, I, um, I think too it is great practice for entering a professional workforce if that's what you're going to do. And even if you take a trade, you've still got to wear safety boots and special helmets and special pants and special high-vis tops. You know, it's all part of you will be required to, whether you're going to wear a corporate suit or whatever, your workplace is going to expect something of you um, for a uniform. Give me a pair of pants and a shirt that I can buy five of and throw in the wash. Yes. And just put them in the cupboard. Non-iron. Yeah, (laughs) non-iron. Yeah. So my boys now do the whole gamut. You know, they've got the black school shoes, the special socks, the slacks, the white shirts, the blazer, the tie, whatever. But, I mean, the fabric's so clever because you really can wash. And if you hang them properly, there's no ironing required in any of those things. And it's so easy peasy. So, Kirsty, what, what have you got for me? Nikki, my question for you comes after you and I had some texting during the week and I was, it was 
fantastic because it was something it was something I hadn't really thought of and when you sent it I was like oh and then I was really interested in your response and immediately said to you you have to explain that to me like why why you why you're saying what you're saying so um my question to you is about how keen you're going to be when it's time to start business travel now you already you already personally you are already doing yes, business travel because right. you're going back and forth to go to work in Hamburg while you are now living in Copenhagen um but I wanted to sort of know more to the point how you would feel conducting business with others who are on business travel because this is I think business travel is so different than personal travel because when we choose to do personal travel, we choose. We choose, I'm going to ch- go to that particular country because, you know, I'll be out by the pool or I'll be out doing whatever and I know what's happening there and I have to be double vaxxed to get there and righty, righty, right. You're making those decisions your own. But we're about to enter a world or you have entered a world where someone might come into it, whether they're double vaxxed or not, you will sit in a meeting room and meet with them, perhaps shake hands, you know, whatever happens, whatever their feeling is, you might be put in a position that you wouldn't usually be in. And the reason I ask you this is because (laughs) you sent me a little note where your husband had had a meeting with someone who had travelled from overseas and he had then gone on his merry way and then he sent your husband a note to say, hey, by the way, I've just tested positive for COVID, (laughs) even though I'm double vaxxed. And... You were your Insta reaction was ah, business travelers, you know, and yeah. and I was fascinated because I was like, Oh, so what what do you think should happen? So I'm interested, how do you feel about business travel? Yeah, so that was a big one, and um, yeah, luckily my husband has had a test and two tests since, and he's tested negative, so we're very happy with that process. But yes. yeah, look, I think companies are starting business travel and there's been a lot of business travel intra-Europe and intra-Europe is you know it feels it's not but it feels safer so there's a lot of testing there's a lot of checking there's a lot of forms to fill out there's all this kind of stuff so you you kind of feel like okay people are traveling uh, they've been here they've been there but you know I I feel safe because it's the environment that I know and I can see the person that met with my husband had come from the US and he came to Copenhagen and then he went on to Germany. So, uh, you know, unfortunately for him, he, he came for a particular event in Germany uh, and he couldn't attend it because he then <laughs> tested positive. The other thing is, is that you have to test negative to enter a hotel in Germany. So I'm not sure where he's staying. Because oh. he said anyway. in his email, didn't he, that he hadn't left the hotel room. Yeah, correct. (laughs) So, uh, you know, it presents all sorts of problems, right? Because through no fault of his own, he's 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 undertaken a business trip. He's he's double vaccinated. He's he's done all the testing. He's arrived Mm -hmm. in Copenhagen. He had his day of meetings. He met my husband at a pub, actually, because he's someone he used to work with. They shook hands. What is it about handshakes? Because I thought we went to elbow bumps, but Mm. now handshakes are just back. And uh, and then he had the drink and then, and then he felt sick the next day. So he didn't go into the office and then the day after he had the test. So it's really just um, it, no fault of his own. And now he's in a situation where if he's in a country that he has to present a negative test every two or three days to stay in a hotel, 
what's going to happen if he gets kicked out of the hotel? Yeah. Because he can't be there. You know, where can he stay? What can happen to him? Because mm-hmm. he's not in his own country. Mm-hmm. It, it, if he gets sick, and my husband messaged him and he hasn't heard back. He said, I hope he's okay. You know, if he gets sick or, or very ill, what happens then? You know, yeah. how is that covered? How can his wife and family, who are now in the U.S., like, you know, worry about him, the whole thing? So, look, I think business travel is going to happen. I think it's inevitable. But I think there are a lot more things to think about. And I think these first few months of the world opening up a little bit and business travel happening, companies will come across these situations and they'll have to do risk assessments and they'll have to decide, well, we're just not going to send as many people. Or, uh, you know, I I don't know what the answer is, but I think we're going to see a changed world where there's a reduction in business travel anyway. But people are keen after 18 months of not doing any face-to-face to get some face-to-face time in which I totally understand yes uh, because there are things you can do face-to-face you know zoom's fine but then you shut the meeting and then you mumble to yourself or whatever you know it's it's yeah. the minutes before and after and around the meetings that can be really key in yes. creating excellent yes business solutions yes. You know, and personal relationships so yes. I think face-to-face business is important to happen. I think business travel should happen, but I just I just don't know the answer because I think companies are going to have to go through a bit of a a risk assessment yeah. along the way. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. And I, I was interested. I asked um, my husband how he felt about it because for me, I've always worked online. Um, well, not always, but, you know, recently yeah. I've worked online uh, for the last five five to ten years and so it hasn't really been a thing and I I guess if I do more wine work I'll be open but I'm not going to be doing business travel as such uh, apart from going to and from Qatar but I asked him I said how keen are you to start business travel and he said I'm very very keen because it will allow face-to-face interactions and discussions because he thinks that you know he works in a marketing role so for him developing relationships is really important and there are a lot of cultures where you really have to get to know someone and spend time with them and eyeball them to sort of know exactly what's going on but he said in my mind the implication of catching COVID while traveling uh, is comparable to food poisoning eating at a buffet so many travelers have stories of getting a funny tummy while traveling in Asia so does vac- so does vaccinated COVID become somewhat the same yes you might get it but you might take the same precautions that you would for food hygiene Maybe I'm underplaying how sick you get with COVID, um, but I think businesses will go back to a certain amount of travel. Uh, and then he was saying, you know, you've got to factor in all the technical people that have to travel to do their jobs, yeah. um, etc. But yes, I I'm a bit like you, Nikki. In the I immediately thought too, yeah, like what happens when that guy has to get back on the plane? And, you know, if he if he checks out of his hotel, because I think he'd be okay in the hotel uh, and you could could you could kind of probably fluff getting the test and doing whatever to your your well. And you would hope that he like we all we all like to think double vaxxed. You're not going to you're not going to get deathly ill unless you're incredibly unlucky. Um, So. Then, so you check out to go to the airport and then they don't let you on the plane and then you don't have a hotel room. Like, exactly, that was exactly what I was thinking of, well, you really are back to being stateless and sleeping on the airport floor. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are the planes you can't get on depending where you're going to if without a negative test. So mm. uh, no matter and, – and then this comes into what about the people that can't be vaccinated for various reasons yes. and they travel? Can they not travel anymore because the risk is just too high for the yes. company to take the risk that they're, that they're going to be hospitalised yes. with COVID, which it's, it's already harder to get uh, yeah. travel insurance for that. So, yeah. I mean, it, it just raises a lot of questions that I'm sure businesses and risk assessors and all sorts of important people are looking at very seriously. Mm. But I think it'll just, you know, shake out in the next six months because I feel like people are so excited to, yes, goodness, we can travel, let's go. And and then you, all you need is two or three cases of this and then there'll be people, you know, who say to their partners, oh, I've got a trip here and there, and their partners will say, well, I don't know if that's yeah. such a good thing. You know, yeah. like it's more of a discussion now, I think, about mm. what's going to happen. I mean, of course something can always happen and the and the food poisoning is a great great analogy except you can control what you can put in your mouth you can't control mm. if you get covid or not mm. because you, you just like if you're traveling you're traveling like there are so many yeah, variables that's right that, you and, can say well i'm not going to shake hands and i am going to wear a mask even though no one else is wearing a mask or i'm yeah i'm going to do those things but you still don't we all know it. you still don't know yeah yeah, I think I think the hard thing too is for me business travel is very much you're in a more confined space. Like I was talking about the things that I would be prepared to do. You know, we're in we're in this weird world at the moment, zero cases, and you know we've got fifty percent double vaccinated. I think seventy five percent first dose done where I live, but we know yep. that we'll, we'll open up, and I think we'll have very similar. We'll have a very similar story to Singapore because obviously nobody's had COVID. Maybe yep. eleven people, <laughs> so, which is so bizarre. So obviously, it's just, the prediction is like it's just going to go woof straight through the community, and with you know they're saying within the first month, maybe four thousand cases of COVID. You know, whatever. So there was this conversation at our house about well. What are you, what are you going to feel comfortable doing? Like, because everybody is will be double vaccinated at our house by the end of the month, uh, except our little person because he's going away on camp. But um, and I was saying, you know, I would feel it sounds ridiculous, but I would feel far more comfortable at a football stadium with fifty thousand people with my mask and whatever because it's open air and you're out in the open, and yeah. I would feel very comfortable with that. Would I feel comfortable with 100 people in a function room, um, you know, all mingling uh, at that point? Probably not. So you, it's like you said, you've got to choose. Whereas business travel, you don't really get to choose. You've just got to yeah. roll with it. Um, so, yes, and, and if your client reaches out to shake your hand, are you going to be brave enough to say... <laughs> let me give you my elbow because i'm thinking there'll be trust issues (laughs) straight off the bat or let me shake your hand and then let me just get out my um antiseptic (laughs) from my pocket here my little (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) yeah no interesting times ahead okay nikki i have continued on with my taking a pick every day have you seen i love them i love them they're amazing what has kept me accountable? It's that stupid picture a day. I've done Strava. I've done every 
app. I've done every program, whatever. You know, eventually I'll crack. But this one, it's like, oh, go go for a walk because I've got to take my picture. And the thing I would totally recommend recommend it as an activity because your Instagram feed ends up being so pretty because it's just pictures of you out on your walk (laughs) it's all green and more people message you and say oh I like that or where's that yeah yeah. no it's been lovely it's been lovely so I'm going to continue that I'm now up to date 10 of 30 so I reckon I'm going to see if I can extend it to 40 days We'll see how we go. Oh, um, that's exciting. But yes, 45 minutes um, at a time. How about, How's your bold statements going? Right. So for September, I said I was going to walk 10Ks every that's day, right. which means I had to finish up with 300Ks. And I didn't. I got to 200Ks. But in the middle of the month, well I said done. I might not make it, but I'm going to keep going yeah. anyway. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to keep going. And that's what I did. So I feel pretty happy about that. I'm disappointed I didn't make my target. But... <laughs> I didn't stop, yep. which, you know, I've said in the past I would do. Uh, the rest of the – last week I said I'm going to do the rest of the room that I'm in right now and I have not done that mm-hmm. because things, life. Uh, so I'm going to put that back on my list for next week and then also in the list for the coming week is when you turn 15 in Copenhagen, you have to get a special ID. It's called a NEM ID. I don't know what that stands for, some Danish words, I imagine. And once you have the magical NEM ID, you can do things like online banking and get a card so you can have Apple Pay on your phone and all those things. So it's your magical number that the government recognises and they send you where all your e-box information goes. So the government corresponds with you by email in Denmark, which is so lovely, and it has a special locked box that you can only – email box that you can only access by using this magical code as well. So uh, my goal for this week is to get one for my daughter because my son's bank account is about to go live and he already had one because he was over 15 when we moved here. So he's about to enter the world of uh, my mobile phone payments and she's going to be left behind. So I can't let that happen. So what about your three favourite things? Oh, one of my favourite, 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 favourite ever things has come back. Uh, can you remember the Fitzroy Diaries? Yes, oh, I can. So good. So the Fitzroy, Di- the Fitzroy Diaries, for those who didn't listen the first time, we're on season three. I thought it was season two, but it was actually season three. Um, in the first season of the Fitzroy Diaries, you hear... The uh, writer and creator is also the narrator. It's a woman called Lauren Clark. But the idea of it was back then when she started of of life in Fitzroy and she would walk out of her house and walk down the street and you were introduced to everybody on her street and the characters and the people and the goings-on. And it's just so beautifully produced. The music is uplifting and light and funny. You hear all the footsteps you know on the road and the noises of the cars and the people walking into the shops when the door opens and the ding 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 of the bell and just every everything is so it is very a lovely sensory isn't it it's just a beautiful experience so the Fitzroy Diaries season three is COVID and so when she goes out she's going out for her one hour a day and she's 
you know, trying to, she's talking about all the boxes that are in the lounge room from all the online deliveries. And Dave, who's changed his job, you know, that used to be the local, what you know, cafe and now it's the local distribution centre and he's the delivery guy and doing whatever and what's going on with the kids and going down to the park for that one hour with the kids in the park and what you squeeze into that one hour with the kids in the park. Um, It is absolutely beautiful. I just love it. So Lauren Clark is the series creator and writer and the sound design is Simon Branthwaite. And so you can hear it if you go to ABC Listen where you can get all of their podcasts, you can get that. Okay, my other one is also a podcast and it's called um, The Brains Trust. So this one's on Listener. I think what I like about it is I think maybe I've got a little bit past the we interview one person and the entire show is a conversation with that one person. Yes. And I like the format of this because he's interviewed... 10 people but it's been produced in a way that he will choose a topic for that week and then what he's pulled out of the conversations with those 10 people because I'm pretty sure he didn't interview each of them each week and every time time. (laughs) so he's really really used his content well so it has people like Tommy Little who's a comedian and he's a co-host on the project um, it's an Australian podcast. It has Abby Chatsfield, who was on The Bachelor, and she's since gone on to be absolutely huge. Um, it has um, Samantha Armitage, who was on Breakfast uh, TV. Um, mm-hmm. It has a lot of people that I thought, oh, I don't know if I'd really be that interested. But it's, Listen to yeah, that. Yeah, but it's the same thing of getting all those conflicting points of view and pushing them all together and sort of seeing what comes out of the end of it. What I found really interesting, I I didn't I didn't really fancy season one. It was narrated by Carrie Bickmore, who is the host of the project okay. on Australian television. Yeah. And it felt a little bit too I don't know whether it felt too slick or it felt a little bit like watching the project, you know, listening to her because she had she announced everything as it was coming. It didn't feel right. so much like a narration. Yeah. And this time it's by Chris Walker, who it just so happens is married to Carrie Brickmore, which I didn't realise <laughs> until he said to Tommy Little, Oh, we share a partner, you work with my wife. And um, so that sort of, you know, if you've watched any of the three, it sort of makes it a little bit more interesting. Um, But I have really enjoyed The Brain's Trust. There's been a lot of different ideas. One of the things that stuck with me and I wanted to run it by you and I ran it past the kids last night, Jamila Rivsky is one of the people that's in it and I really Mm -hmm. like Jamila. She used to, uh, I think she was the managing editor at Mamma Mia and then she went on and she's gone and done her own things and in amongst that she had a brain tumour and that needed to be operated on. She was very sick for a while. It's something that's never going to go away. She needs, you know, drugs all the time. It's meant that she's just will only have the one child. She can't uh, have any more children. So she's a very interesting person, you know. There's a lot to her. But she was talking about, and it just came up as sort of a sideline comment, that... In her, it's her belief that 
those of us that live in the past are more susceptible to depression. Those of us that live in the future are more susceptible to anxiety in that we're always worried about what's going to happen next and thinking too much about what's coming up and how we're going to deal with it and how we're going to handle it and how that's going to happen. And then when you're looking in the past, you're you're always going to be sad, you know, that it's either gone or that it was the way it was and you can't have it again. And so it was the true, it was that belief that you really have to live in the present to have that balance where you're not looking in the past, you're not looking at the future, you're just in the present, in the now. Um, yes, anyway, so that was my second one. The third thing that I happily watched this week, uh, and while it was my favourite thing and that I happily watched it, it was also my mo- the most vexing of all, and that was Scott Morrison's press release um, when he did his... Uh, you could watch it on YouTube. You could watch it in full length on every oh, channel, Channel yeah. 7, Channel 9, Channel 10, um, of uh, the borders being opened. And um, I I watched it thinking, wow, this is amazing. This is, He's really telling us that the borders are going to open <laughs> in November. And that's the borders to Australia yes. and Scott Morrison's the Australian Prime Minister. Yes, yeah. yes. And, uh, and then I was thinking... Why are you doing this today? Like, why today do you need to tell us that this is going to happen when you can't actually tell us what the vaccination passport looks like? You can't tell us what quarantine is really going to look like. Mm. You can't give us any of these answers, but you're quite happily standing here announcing to us that mid-November, borders open, you can travel in and out, woo-hoo, We'll all be, you know, all Australians can come home. And I just, I was very confused. So um, also on Friday, we had uh, the Premier of uh, New South Wales had to retire in um, a blaze of glory where she's being investigated for fraud. And so I, I still can't work out whether I think he did it to sort of take some of the attention. Like, why did it have to be? on that day that he chose to do the press conference. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you have any ideas, Nikki, or why or what the effect was for you. Obviously, I was interested in Scott Morrison's comments about opening up Australia. I don't believe it for one second. You know that I live (laughs) in that bad place in the future where I think it's not going to happen. So I should live in the day and just believe him. But, yeah, no, it was an interesting process. But, yeah, Mm. I, I think it probably was a little bit. I will attach a little seven-minute video that walks you through uh, Gladys Berejiklian's um, dramas and and what it, what it was that is she is being accused of doing. It's all there for you to see. So tell me, Nikki, what are your three favourite things? Okay, so I also have two podcasts this week. Uh, the first one is cancelled. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've listened to any episodes of Cancelled. I haven't listened, but I've heard it, people talk about it. Oh, I did yeah, listen. So I went to listen to the one they did on Pete Evans. Evans. And I, yeah. I didn't love it. I have to say I didn't I didn't love the the tone, but um I I I need to try another one. Yeah, I think you have to it's one it's a new series, so they're kind of developing as they go and they're building the language they use and the processes they use. So they didn't start with like, here's our platform. Here's 
the three things we're going to start with, then we're going to do this. And, you know, like podcasts have a formula. Yeah. I think they're developing their formula. So it's one of those ones you have to listen to to sort of get into it because yeah. they sort of, they're changing it up as they go along. Yes. Uh, it's done by twins who work at Mamma Mia and one of them, uh, Jesse and Claire Stevens, and one of them, Claire, explains the story to Jesse who has no knowledge of it or uh-huh. little knowledge of it. And then at the end they make up a... Uh, a thing about whether the, what the punishment for this person should be. And it's basically just a take uh, on the current cancellation culture, which is a little bit silly that this culture exists and then, but what people have done and, and where people have ended yeah. up. So um, I'd recommend to have a listen. If you listen to it, just start with the first episode because it's only a few episodes old and just it'll get you into it or not. You can mm-hmm. decide then. The other thing was, uh, now my next podcast is uh, when I was in Hamburg and staying with my friend, she and I sat down and got out our phones and compared podcasts. She's like, what podcast are you listening to? And we sort of had a, a backwards and forwards. And one of the ones that she recommended to me that I listened to when I was driving home was a podcast called Off Menu. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a British podcast. It's done by two comedians, Ed Gamble and James Acaster. And they it's one of the ones where it's two people interviewing one person but they invite you to a magical restaurant and you choose and the person who's invited chooses their favorite starter their main a side dish dessert drinks water do you have sparkling or still water you know when do you have it when do you get your first glass of wine what do you have do you have a, a an after dinner aperitif etc etc so I didn't know if I'd like it and I listened to uh, one episode that they did which was just with another uh, with a comedian and she was quite funny and I quite enjoyed it and I think I'll listen to more but I I haven't yet mm. so but I want to say it's something that it's just a little bit different yeah. and it is quite light and it's funny because she she, <laughs> she chose all this it was very carb heavy like she had she, everything was like white something she had mac she had mac and cheese and then she had something else and um, I think a potato bake or something anyway it was just <laughs> so it doesn't have to be a perfectly balanced meal right. like you can you just basically choose your very very favorite things that you uh-huh. do. Um, so it's maybe worth a listen. I did notice that there were some episodes with like um, Jamie Oliver and perhaps I should have started with one of those mm. just to sort of hear at a different sort of level. But anyway, it was it was a bit of a fun one. Hey, Nikki, just, just going back to Cancelled, do you think yeah. that they're heading towards finding their structure? Because I think you've hit the nail on the head for me for what my problem was with it, was it was sort of too conversational. Um you know, like right. with one person saying something and then the other person kind of taking the mickey out of the whole situation and taking the mickey out of the person. But I think that was what it missed for me was I wanted, I needed to have that structure to know where the beginning, the middle and the end were with the conclusion. So are they are they getting to that point? So should I, should I persist? I, I, I think they are. And so I'd say listen to a couple more. Okay. But then, like, give yourself two more, and if you don't like it, then you don't like it. Because it's it's also to do with their relationship. They're twins. They have this sort of yeah. language that they use with each other. So it, it, you've got to... They are. They're very funny together. Uh, you've got to have that feel comfortable to you to yeah. be able to enjoy yeah. it. And they are. They are very funny. And I listened to Jesse Stevens on Mamma Mia Out Loud um, yeah. regularly. So it, it's it's not the narrators. It was it, I think it was more the content. Um, so yeah. yeah, no, that's great. The other thing is in 
it's because I do the hard work for everybody else. In the new season shows, so the new 2021 shows that are coming out recently, um, I watch them so you don't have to, <laughs> listeners, dear listeners, uh, when we're talking in the junk pile. So there's a new uh, show out this season called La Bria, and it's a, it's a US show. And interestingly, though, when I looked up the the details on it, it said something to do with Melbourne, so something to do with production in Melbourne. So I don't know where it was filmed, but I feel like it was filmed in LA. Anyway, it feels like Lost for the 2021s. So basically, if you if you remember the show Lost, a big sinkhole opens up in the middle of LA and half of a family falls in it on their way to school and the other half does not. And it, it, I think this season's about their journey to finding each other. Uh-huh. But basically they fall in the sinkhole and uh, lo and behold they don't die, but they're living in sort of like a parallel universe situation. Uh-huh. So there's the people in the sinkhole and there's people out of the sinkhole. Uh-huh. And then, of course, the father who's out of the sinkhole has had these visions and he's been, you know, bounced out of the army or the air force because he's had these visions in the past. And now he can see these visions and he says, oh, you know, the other family members are actually alive. They're not dead. So it's, you know, you've got to let go of everything and just let your imagination live in the moment, (laughs) bury in the moment. (laughs) Okay, Nikki Moffat, you have to go and drive your child somewhere this morning or or are you biking? To a volleyball tournament. biking? Yay. Sports back. No, no, it's a 30-minute drive, so no, we won't be biking. I was going to say, so how does that work? So, you know, you bike down to go and see your new friends and um, yes. so if Sam would have gone with you, would you have biked together or is then it, does it become, do you do an Uber? No, no, uh, we would have biked together. Yeah. No, for sure. That's yeah. wonderful. We're bikers now. Yeah. We have bikes. That's so good. <laughs> and and how do the people of Copenhagen, what do they do in the wet when they're on their bikes? Is there special wet weather gear? They wear wet weather gear. Yes, they 100% do. So my husband said to me the other day, oh, I have to get wet weather pants. I said, what? He said, I said, just get a poncho, like, like, you know, one of those big. He said, no, people wear wet weather pants. They wear the spray jacket and the wet weather pant. I'm like, oh, God, here we go. So does everybody get off their bike, disrobe out of their pants, give them a shake and then pop them somewhere? Yep. Fold them, roll them up, put them in their backpack. Oh, that's with their other so bike impressive. equipment till the end of the day. Oh, that's so impressive. Yeah. I think it's really hard to explain unless you've been here or lived here because there are bike lanes that are basically nearly as wide as car lanes. Yes. There are more bikes on the road than, well, there's a lot of cars, but there's still more bikes. Um, so it, it it's a total biking culture. And was it that it was just always that way, that everybody always biked or did was there something that changed or like i'll look into it come back and tell me about (laughs) because i love it i just think it's so it must be so good for their health system and i think it probably is good for that yeah but also i imagine it's it's um then would i wonder how it works with the really sick and the disabled and the elderly as well with how that works well there are a lot of very elderly people on bikes i'm here to tell you um and you know and there are also adapted bikes so i've seen you know people on bikes that are adapted three-wheeler bikes you know and then of course there's the big bikes with the um you know the big 
basket in the yeah. front. I don't know what they're called, not a basket, but, you know, the carrier. And, you know, there's all sorts of people being carried around in those as well. So right. it's it's quite, it's relatively inclusive, but I'm sure, you know, yeah. there are people that can't be included in it. But oh, yeah. Oh, I can't wait to visit. I know. Yeah. Me either. That's travel though. We'll have to talk about yes. it. <laughs> oh, one day, one day. Okay. okay. All right. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.